Man, I'm so excited that you guys are here. I wanna tell you guys about our series. If you've been coming for the past like 10 weeks, you can recite what I'm about to say, but I'm gonna say it anyway because there's people that are new that don't know. So we've been in this series called Back to Basics. Um, and what we're doing is we're taking basic Christian practices and we're spending two weeks on each one that we introduce. And so the first, the, the first week that we introduce a practice, we'll answer the question of why. And so for some people, they're learning for the first time why Christians do this thing. Um, but for some of us, we're relearning. We're kind of dusting off our, our imagination, like remembering, oh wait, yeah, that's right. Like, so like, for instance, we introduced, what was the first practice we covered? Do you guys remember? Prayer, Prayer yeah. Um, tears, that's amazing. It's so cool that you remember that. Um, but uh, prayer, so we were like, hey, why do Christians pray? Like, let's remember that again. What does scripture say about it? What do we think is happening when we are talking to God? You know, so we talked about why, but we don't just stay in the why, right? We go to the second week, which is how. And on the second week, if you haven't been with us, uh, if you happen to come back next week, we get really practical. We'll circle up chairs, there'll be some discussion questions, some like five minute segment teachings uh, scattered throughout. But the aim is to go, man, if you left right now, within two minutes, you could be doing the thing. Like you could actually be doing it. So we talked about prayer. Now, how can you do it? In community, when you're alone, uh, what, what does it look like? What are some things to remember? What are some things to try? And so the goal of the how week is to put it into practice. And the reason for this is in Matthew chapter seven, all right, Jesus tells this story. He goes, hey, there's a wise man and a foolish man. And both of them hear what I have to say, okay? But what, distincts, what, what distinguishes, that's the right way to use that word, right? I wasn't sure. Uh, that's me. That's the teacher for the day. I don't know what distinguishes means. So what distinguishes the two is the foolish man hears what I have to say, but then walks away unchanged. But the wise man, he hears my teachings and he puts them into practice. And so the heart of this series is going, man, can we be a church that resembles the wise man? That we don't just spend a week going, hey, why do we do it? But we take another week to go, how do we put it into practice? Because we want to be the wise man, okay? And so um, I want to go back and cover the ones we've done so far. So we did prayer. What came after prayer? Scripture, Scripture Bible, yes. What came next? Worship. Worship. Amazing. What came next? Sabbath. Ah, Sabbath. Um, no, I'm Sabbath. Um, that was so stupid. Um, okay. So yeah, so we've done four so far. We're over halfway done. We've got a few weeks left. And uh, before I tell you what the next one is, I know you, I can see you're all just so eager to know, what's the next one? I mean, that's why we came here. Um, uh, gosh, my jokes, okay, no more jokes. Um, so the next practice, I'm not gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell the story first, all right, to lead you there, okay? So I remember when I was like 11 years old, I was in Gastonia, North Carolina. Anyone know where Gastonia, North Carolina is? Okay, it's like 20 minutes outside of Charlotte. I was gonna like rep my city from fifth grade, but never mind. Um, but I remember I was at Parkwood Baptist Church and that's where my mom worked, okay? And so what's really cool about being 11 years old and your mom working at a big church is that the building is empty during the week. And so when you're 11 years old and there's an empty building, like it's about to go down, right? Like a lot of adventures, a lot of exploring, a lot of imagination. And so while I'm on one of my explorations of Parkwood Baptist Church, I'm in this empty stairwell. Now just picture a really boring stairwell, and that's where I was, okay? Um, and it was like two flights of stairs, there's a window, and I remember I go to the top of the stairs and I look at the railing, and I start thinking about like, you know, the cool kids, because cool kids know how to slide down the rail. You know what I mean? Like sit on it, slide down it. You guys know what I'm talking about? Has anyone ever been able to do that? If you've ever slid that, yeah, okay. I, Dave, you savage, you slid down the rail. That's pretty awesome. Um, that's amazing. So I always wanted to, but I never had the guts, right? I knew if I tried sliding down the stairwell rail in front of people, it would only go bad, right? I, I don't do well under pressure 
or when I'm not under pressure, honestly. And so, but I was by myself in that moment and I went, what if I can do this? Because it'd be, it feels so cool to just like slide down the rail. Like, that's pretty effortless. You just sit and move. That's pretty awesome. And so I was thinking about it. So I, I gather myself, I, I get on the rail and I'm in a pretty awkward seating, sitting position when the pastor of the church walks through the door. His name's Jeff and he goes, hey, Josh, and just picture 11-year-old me, smaller, not much smaller, I'm not very big now, but a small 11-year-old me sitting on the railing turned around like, hey, what is up? And uh, he was like, what are you doing? I said, I literally am sitting on a rail, turned around and I go, looking outside. That's 11-year-old me caught in the air. I'm like, oh, I, I sit like this when I want to look outside. This is, this is my thing. Do you not do that? Is that weird? Okay. And he goes, oh, Okay. And he plays it cool and he goes, you know, I heard of, from a few weeks ago, a kid tried to, to slide down one of these stairwell rails and he actually fell and broke his arm. And I was like, huh, <laughs> doesn't apply here because I'm not doing that. Like I, I would never, that sounds like he was being ridiculous. <laughs> I'm looking at nature, right? And I was like, okay, cool. I didn't say any of that. I was like, okay, cool. And uh, so he walks away and I very somberly and quietly hop off the rail and like walk down the stairs. But it was so funny because very clearly this 11 year old kid by himself in a stairwell is about to slide down this rail. But the minute Jeff walks in, it's not as if I'm doing something wrong, right? I don't think I was in sin when I was considering sliding down the rail. But the minute someone walked in, it was like, no, no, no. Like I'm just looking at outside right now, right? Like I just wanted to hide the fact that I was in a pretty vulnerable spot. You know what I mean? Another example of, uh, of this like instinct that we have as humans when we kind of get caught in something, um, Leah, my wife, who is in Africa right now, she's there for 14 more days. So I am dead inside. Um, no, I'm, I'm surviving, but I'm crying fairly often, honestly. Um, <laughs> But when she was three years old, her mom's a hairdresser, as is Leah. It was always her dream from a young kid to, to do hair. And so when she was three years old, she found some scissors. And we've all probably done something like this. You find scissors, you cut clothes, you cut something important, or you cut your own hair, right? She went the hair route. She cuts her hair all, all off into pieces. Her mom walks in and goes, Leah, like what happened? And I kid you not, picture three-year-old Leah. This is insane. Her response was, I thought it was nail polish. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> What logical dots was she connecting in that moment? None. There were no dots being connected, right? She's like, oh, by cutting my hair, I thought I was painting my nails, mom. Clear, like everyone's been there, right? But there's this moment, right, where she gets caught and she comes up with the most ridiculous idea. But this instinct to get caught in something that feels vulnerable, that feels maybe not what we were supposed to be doing and to say something ridiculous to cover it up, that never really leaves us, right? Really, the only difference is we get more sophisticated and better at it, right? It gets a little more boring because we find out smoother and better and more efficient ways to convince people we're not actually doing something wrong. You know what I mean? And so today, we're going to cover a basic Christian practice that pushes back against that instinct, right? So I think this instinct comes from a place of like protection and like like, I want to keep myself from being exposed. It, it keeps us from the unknown, right? So when we're, when we're hiding something, like, we're in control. But to expose it, to, to bring it in front of someone, takes control out of your hands a little bit, and it puts it in their hands. Like, okay, how do you respond? So we have this inclination when we're in something sketchy or we're in something that we know is just blatantly not good. It's just sin. It's wrong. It's not cool. Like, we have this instinct to hide it. But we're going to talk about this practice of confession and repentance that is going to push back against that instinct, right? So this instinct that goes, hide it, protect it, protect yourself, don't tell anybody, 
Scripture actually says the opposite is true. That when you bring it forth, when you say it out loud, when you confess it, that is where your heart will be most protected, will be the most healthy, will have the most life, okay? So I wanna break down confession and repentance. We're gonna start out in Genesis chapter three. We actually have a slide for this one, so if you don't have to turn there. Um, But Genesis chapter three, I wanna read this part where where Adam and Eve, they've eaten of the tree, right, that, that they weren't supposed to eat from, so they've sinned, okay? And this is the verse right after. And it's just, this really hit me hard this week. Let's read this. This is right after they've sinned, okay? And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So I want you to think about the juxtaposition of this moment versus like a few verses ago. Before sin enters the world, if you remember, we talked about this when we covered prayer. If you were here, we talked about how, man, before sin was in the world, you just had humans in God in perfect communion. That is insane. Like, that's pretty awesome, right? No agenda, just alive and God, and that's just it, right? And I was just thinking about how sweet it would be to be in the presence of a perfect and holy God and to feel free, right? Like, when you picture Jesus walking in the room right now, a lot of you go, man, I'd I'd be searching back through my week trying to figure out what I did wrong. <laughs> like, if Jesus walks in here, I guess I'm, I'm just guessing I've got some failures to talk about, right? But there was a time where Adam and Eve are just with God in perfection. But then we see this tragic moment, this consequence of sin, right? Sin does something to us. It creates distance, distance between us and God. But what I saw here was not just the fact that sin creates distance, puts a chasm in between us and God, but that it actually gives us the instinct to seek distance from God, which is so sad. Like, it stinks. Like, if life is to know God and to be close with God, it's a, just really a bummer that when we sin, not only does that in itself create distance from a perfect God, because of course, right, like, that, that makes sense. God is perfect. He does not know sin. There's a natural gap but it also gives us this instinct to create more distance. So they know something's up, but their instinct isn't to run and tell God, I messed up and there's a gap. Their instinct is to hide, right? And think about how ridiculous that notion is. As ridiculous as it is to say that when I was cutting my hair, I thought I was painting my nails. Adam and Eve try to hide from an all-seeing, all-knowing God, but that's the instinct that sin creates. And I think this comes from a few places. And I was thinking like, man, where does this instinct come from? Like what, what, what makes us do this? And I think there's a few areas. And I was trying to think specifically, like people who would say, I'm trying to follow God, trying to do it right, trying to obey the word, like live holy, live pure. But when you sin, what's that first thing? And I think the first thing we feel a lot of the times, okay, is this fear, right? This fear of, of being exposed. Like you've been there. And, and I wanna be careful because I think in this cultural point in time, we'd go, you never do anything because you're just got some bad stuff in you. There's always an innocent reason why you do bad things. And a lot of times that can be true, but also we, we can just love bad things, okay? We're very, 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 and maybe even inclined, capable of choosing bad things, okay? But I do think for Christians, a lot of times when we're trying to follow God and sin enters our life, there's this moment of just fear, like, oh, shoot, I failed, like I did the thing I know I'm not supposed to do, how am I supposed to bring this before God, right? It starts out with fear. And that instinct to hide, if it wins in that moment, that fear, if we're not careful, 
will turn into a love of sin, of indulgence. Like we will, we will fall in love with that sin. So I wanna look at 1 John chapter 1, uh, verses five through 10, because the Bible is gonna completely push against, push back against this instinct to hide, to hold things in, to tell no one. Let me flip my notes because I don't even know where, there we go. All right, so scripture urges against this instinct, okay? Are you guys with me so far? We're here, is it hot? Yeah, uh, maybe just because we've been doing stuff. Yeah, it's hot. All right, okay. So 1 John chapter 1, verses five through 10, check this out on the screen. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship, or really listen here, okay? If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, I wanna stop here, okay? Because I believe this is gonna expose a false narrative, all right? A false understanding of, of what it looks like to walk with God, okay? So a false narrative would be um, walking in darkness means I can't have a relationship with God, so when I sin, I'm in darkness, thus meaning I have no relationship with God, right? If you stopped at verse six, that's what it feels like. It says you can't be in darkness and light at the same time, but it's important we understand he doesn't stop there, okay? He's not saying that walking in darkness means you can't have a walk with God, so therefore when you sin, you're out of relationship with God. That's not what he's saying. We have to keep reading, okay? Because some of us live in that mindset. When I'm in sin, I cannot be in relationship with God. Verse seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, okay? That's, that's big. That's, that's the big whammy is for some reason what I wanna say right now because I used to watch the whammy, the game show. Does anyone know what I'm talking about with whammy? No way. Has anyone seen the whammy show? The... All right, so verse nine says, okay, to live in darkness, all right, is to have sin but do nothing with it, all right? That's darkness. That is what can't exist in the presence of God. It's sin and cool with it, and that's where we're at, and I'm in. Like, that's it. Verse nine says, it's when we confess our sins, all right, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to, de and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the question is never, do you have sin in your life or not? That's a fact, all right? Scripture goes, no, 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 you have sin in your life, all right? Where the spirit of truth takes over is when you learn to confess that sin, that Jesus can make you clean, can give you his righteousness, okay? But verse 10 is gonna highlight the instinct that we have. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And I was thinking about that. What does it mean to say we have not sinned? Because I doubt many of us would ever just say that sentence, right? I have not sinned, right? I think all of us would go, yeah, okay. I, I'm capable of that. I've done it before. But I think what does it look like to say you haven't sinned, okay? It's to be fearful, right? If you're fearful, you will withhold the sin in your life, right? You'll withhold it from God or, or from community. So that's, that's one way maybe not to say it. there's fear in there. Or maybe you're in love, with sin, like maybe you indulge in sin and you love it so much you live as if you have no sin in you, like you're that comfortable with it. So I think this can 
can bear itself out in a, in a lot of ways. But the Bible is going to completely push against that notion that you have to hide it, they have to bear it. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. This is an amazing truth that scripture tells us because everything in us says the opposite. Like some of you right now are going, yeah, that's for shallow stuff, all right? You're in the no one else narrative right now. You're going, everyone has these cute little sins. Oh, did you gossip at the water cooler thing? Oh, that's really cute. What I've done, no one can relate to, right? Everyone has that narrative. And the enemy will use, understand this, our battle, not with flesh and blood, right? It's in the spiritual realm, Ephesians 6. Like the enemy will use whatever train of thought he can give you to prevent you from bringing darkness to light, so if you're here going, no, but you, you don't know. I don't know one other person that does the thing I do. I can't just say that out loud. Not to God, especially not to another human, never going to happen. Scripture says the opposite is true, that when you conceal transgression, you will not prosper, but he who confesses, forsakes them, they will obtain mercy. That's the transaction every time. Like, that's a good transaction. All right, that's a good substitute. If I bring my transgressions, what it does not, there's no asterisk, there's no, unless it's, you know, this, like, of course, that, that's where it doesn't count anymore, right? There's none of that. Any transgression, when we confess it in exchange from God, we get mercy. There's a story in Luke chapter five that blew my mind this week, and I hope it blows your mind too. I'd never seen it this way. But in Luke chapter five, Jesus is talking to his well, honestly, they're not even his disciples yet. He's talking to Peter and some other homies that are fishing and they haven't caught anything, all right? No fish have been caught. They've been fishing all night and Jesus gives them an instruction. He goes, cash nets on the other side. So they do it and there's an abundant catch. It goes extremely well from a fisherman's perspective, okay? They need help from other boats. It goes amazing. So we see a Genesis moment here. So when Adam and Eve, they hear God and they know they're sinful, they hide. We see it again here. I've never seen it this way. So Peter, seeing this miracle happen, is aware, you know what, a few seconds ago, I thought you were just a dude. I think you might be divine. I think something is up with what you can do, right? And so he recognizes divinity is in his midst. He recognizes that Jesus has some sort of God in him, like something is going on. And his instinct, look at this, is depart from me. Oh, it's behind, look at this. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. That's his instinct, which is actually kind of amazing because I feel like I would be like, how did you do that? This is crazy. Did y'all see? You know, I feel like I'd just be like in awe, but he's immediately like, no, 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 no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If you're God, I am very aware of how distant we are. He falls into the instinct immediately. He goes, not only do I feel far away, I want to like get far away. Jesus, I'm in the water here kind of stuck. Will you just start walking that way? You can't be near me right now. That's his instinct, right? But watch Jesus. This is incredible. This is what Jesus says. Do not be afraid. The minute Peter says, no, whoa, whoa, this, is, this cannot be how it works. Sinner here, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going on. No way. Jesus says, do not be afraid. And this is the very like first conversation for their discipleship relationship. I love this because as Peter is going, create distance, he's trying to walk away. Jesus is running a little faster than he's walking. He is closing the gap. 
And what's amazing is he's like, I'm not just like saying that in theory. He spends his next three years being Peter's like guy, like his Lord and Savior, but like also his best friend. These guys are so close. This is their first conversation. And I wonder how many of us, like Jesus has like, has brought himself into our life. We're just like, no, it's not worth it. I can't do it. I'm not worthy. It doesn't work. And Jesus is like, there is nothing to fear. Like when perfection in Jesus knocks on your heart's door, there is nothing to fear. There's nothing you can bring before him that makes him hesitate to lavish grace and forgiveness on you. Is that, yeah, is that, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Uh, that's pretty amazing. So we do not have to be afraid. So if we see it in the biblical narrative, okay, we see uh, Jesus saying this about, about sin, scripture saying, if you'll bring it before him, he will forgive you. He will do it. Then what does it mean to actually live a life that lives into confession and repentance? Let's, uh, let's, Define confession according to dictionary.com. Confession, a formal statement of admitting one is guilty of a crime, okay? Confession with God would be admitting that you're guilty of sin, okay? That's what we mean by confession, saying it out loud. God, I have sinned against you. It's no one's fault except mine. I chose it. This is what went down. I am guilty, right? That's what it looks like to confess sin. We can do that with God. We can do that with community. Hey, the people that I'm talking to right now, here's what happened this week. I need to confess this. I need to say something out loud that I know went against the heart of God. It wasn't good, okay? That's what it means to confess sin in the simplest way I know how to say it. So you can do this with God when praying, you can do it with others, talking to them. But confession is done out of the heart for the sake of relationship, okay? that's, That's really important. Because when I say confession, some of us bring a real checklist vibe into that conversation where we go, okay, shoo, shoo, I'm good. I said it, I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. good. Okay, we're, we're clean again, right? And, and, and I think we can miss out on the heart behind confession. The story behind prayer in Genesis is that God made us for the sake of relationship. So confession is there to help us walk in unity with God. That's why we confess. He will make us clean, but it will also maintain intimate friendship That's kind of like the big picture goal, right? So we confess to be close with God. This is a heart conversation. So what things do we confess, all right? So if we've embraced it, it's the biblical narrative, we understand what confession is, what am I actually confessing? You're confessing sin, and I think sin is just anything that goes against the heart of God on an external level and on an internal level. I think any sin has a heart issue behind it. Right, so um, Jesus says like out of the heart comes malice and envy. So I think anything that you see externally probably has an internal root. In fact, it definitely does, okay? But we confess things that go against the heart of God. And I think, you know, I was thinking about my own story because confession has been, hold on, let me make sure I know where I'm at. Yeah, I do. Um, Confession has been a, a really big part of my life in the past like seven or eight years. And I think I've learned as I've confessed more that heart thing, that it's about the heart, because I've realized, like, I'll confess maybe a surface level sin, but at its root, I'm going, oh, I think what I'm confessing is I really, I don't trust God, like, at all. <laughs> like, I really am just not down with the gospel narrative right now. I, I don't believe that, that dying to self helps me live. I don't believe that abstaining from that thing is actually better. Like, I don't believe that. Uh, I'm kind of calling God a liar, and I need to confess that. Like, uh, you know, maybe I hadn't thought through it that much until I said it, and then I was like, wait, that's actually real. Okay. 
That's what I'm confessing. So you'll have moments where you're confessing external shallow things, like, man, I said the thing about the person, I shouldn't have said it, that's my bad. Um, but some of it's gonna be deep and internal and God's gonna use you confessing shallow things to reveal some deep internal issues of your heart as for the sake of unity with God. And so when I talk about sin, some of you are immediately aware of what that is in your life. You go, oh, I kinda know. I know what I would confess in that scenario, you know, which is right now. <laughs> but some of you go, I, like, bring it down even more. And I think there's, there's three things that I think of that really help us know what to confess, all right? One is the Holy Spirit. So if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you. And scripture calls the Holy Spirit two things that I'm, I'm a big fan of. One is the helper, which is pretty amazing, all right? So the Spirit is there to help you, okay? Secondly, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of, way to go, Emma, Spirit of truth, okay? It's, it tells the truth. It reveals truth. So the Holy Spirit's function in you, I believe if you didn't have the Bible, didn't have this, that if you believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit would reveal truth to you. Like if you had never read 1 Corinthians 6 where Paul like gives a big old list of things, like you would know. The Holy Spirit would rise to the surface of your heart that go, this is in disagreement with me. This is, in dis- this is disunity. This is not how I function. When you said the thing, you shouldn't have said it. When you did the thing, no way. Not my, that's, that's not how we work. Like you need to say this, you know what I mean? So the Holy Spirit will help you, big time. He's the helper. Secondly, scripture. Scripture's gonna help a lot here, all right? The New Testament and the gospels, and especially the epistles, there's moments where you can tell Paul is talking to new believers and just doesn't have time. Because he's like, okay, look, here's 15 things to not do, all right? Literally, 1 Corinthians 6, you'll find it. Bap, 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 all right? He goes, just don't do them. All right, you have to be careful here. All right, so if you enter the checklist mentality, you're like, ah, shoot, I did it. I'm sorry, my bad, go. But he's doing that to help them cultivate a real living relationship with God and one another, all right? Any sin warned against is to protect us and to help our relationship with God thrive. So scripture is gonna help a lot. The more you read scripture, the more you'll learn like, ah, okay, I didn't know that, all right? Um, And then the third thing is community. A good community, a healthy, godly community will help you dodge sin every time, all right? They will pick up the phone and there'll be a safe place for you to go, I'm not sure about this. I think I kind of messed up here or I'm very sure I really messed up here. Just on Friday, God's timing sometimes can be just super cool. It was, it's always super cool, but I had a cool moment on Friday where uh, my friend, I've, I've known him for eight years, he called me and uh, what if I just described him and gave you his initials and everything? <laughs> and you're like, I think I can figure out who this is. Uh, but my, my friend called me and was like, look, I just, I need to say some stuff. I usually don't have conversations like this. Um, is it okay if I talk to you? And I'm like, dude, you're like one of my best friends. Like, yeah, what's up? Like, what's going on? And uh, he just starts confessing some stuff. And he said that he was on the, uh, on the border of having a panic attack before he called me, so much anxiety. And what was crazy was all he confessed was that he was fighting the good fight so well. He was feeling some temptation. He was feeling some heaviness and he was fighting so well. I was like blown away by him. But, but until that moment, all he had was his brain and what was going on internally. And he was dealing with this weight and his heaviness. And so he just said something out loud. And I was able to say, dude, you are killing it. I'm, I feel pretty confident, according to scripture and the spirit in me, like that you are amazing. And the minute he, I said that, he goes, dude, I just knew you were gonna be ashamed of me. Like I knew that I, I knew this wasn't gonna go well. And I was like, what? Like one, I would never, even if there was a ton of sin, it'd be like, hey, let's, let's talk through this. Like the Holy Spirit's working in your heart, you know? But that's what happens. Like when we have community and we have the safe space to go, here's what's going on. The community that loves God gets to give you a clear and accurate depiction of how God responds to you. 
grace, mercy, you're killing it, you're doing great. Or hey, let's, let's walk through this. I've also had the phone calls where I said, okay, this is real. Let's walk through this. Let's figure out how to take care of this thing. You know what I mean? So a good God-fearing community knows how to pick up the phone and either confess or confront. Ooh, I didn't even mean to say that. Confess or confront. But I've had the phone calls where I went, hey, I wanna check in with you. What I saw last night, I'm a little worried about it. Are you good? How's your heart? Like when you, you, you kind of, you kind of overdrank yourself a little bit. Like you, you were a little hype in a way that you not normally. Are you okay? Like I'm, I'm worried, right? Or hey, when you said that thing about that person, you had some salt on it. And I'm worried you probably haven't talked to them and you're just telling me, that's not how this works. If you need to confront them, confront them, right? Talk to them, right? That's how community functions. It helps us maintain unity and health and walk with God in a healthy and upright way. Am I making, am I making sense? We're here, all right, lock in with me because we're almost there, but I need you here because I think this stuff is dynamite, okay? So it happens with the Holy Spirit, with scripture uh, and with community. So I wanna talk about uh, my last kind of section here. What's the result of this? Why am I here saying confession and repentance? It's, it's, wait, 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 wait. Did I skip repentance? I did, I skipped repentance. Okay, hold on. The other half, um, repentance, but it won't take as long. Um, guys, I almost skipped. Wow, okay, repentance. All right, so we talked about confession. What is repentance though? So I'm so sorry, give me grace and lock in with me because this is awesome. Um, so repentance, what does that look like? So a lot of us grew up thinking confession and repentance kind of synonymous, the same thing. I actually think confession and repentance is a one-two punch here where confession is saying something out loud, admitting something, admitting something, bringing it to light. Repentance is turning from it and walking toward Jesus, okay? Repentance is not just saying it, but turning from it and walking toward Jesus. This is what we see in the Bible. This is the Exodus narrative, right? The Israelites, they don't just leave Egypt and then hang out. They leave Egypt and then are delivered into the promised land. This is what Jesus is getting at when he talks to Peter and goes, Peter, Satan is trying to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. When you return, strengthen the brothers. It's right before Peter's gonna deny Jesus three times, make a mistake that Peter didn't think he was capable of. And Jesus goes, I know, I prayed for you. When you return, change your way, right? Strengthen the brother. This is a huge part of confession. Repentance needs to go hand in hand with confession. Some of us have sat in circles and we've done really good at confession. And you know what a circle of people is that only knows how to confess stuff and not do anything about it? It's a terrible, depressing circle. It's awful. Every week you just get together and talk about how crappy you are. And there's no freedom, no victory, no Holy Spirit power, no anything. We're just aware that we're kind of messing it up, right? Like, have you ever been in circles like that? Like, I just remember Bible studies where it was like, are we ever actually gonna change or is this just like what we do? We just, yeah, I messed up. All right, man, see you next week. Okay, sounds good. It's great, redemption. All right, um, you know, that's not it. Repentance is missing from that, right? Repentance is not just saying it, it's going, hey, how do we grow from this? How do we not just turn from sin? Because sin is not neutral. It's negative, right? It takes us away. It deteriorates. It steals. It kills. It destroys. That's what sin functions. That's how it does things. That's how it does things in our lives, right? So we turn away from that, but then we turn to Jesus. This is in Acts 2 verse 38. Peter's going to preach just an amazing gospel sermon, and people are like convicted to their heart, and they go, what must we do? And he says, repent. Turn from your way and be baptized. And to be baptized meant to follow Jesus, like declare publicly, I am following the ways of Jesus. And so we're gonna get way more into this next week. 
But to be a people of Jesus is not just to be a people that confess sin, which is so big, but it's to repent, to turn from it and to walk towards God, okay? Um, So I wanna talk about why this is worth it, why I think this is so important, all right? I mean, the Bible says it, so that in itself is enough, right? But what is the result? I wanna give you seven things. Then we'll go to communion. I wanna invite you to pray. So here's the seven things that I think are just incredible results of confession. First is innocence. Like you get to claim innocence. That is stupid good. In Luke chapter 23, verses 40 through 43, there's this moment where you have two criminals on a cross and Jesus is in the middle. And one criminal goes, Jesus, you said you're the son of God, why don't you save you? And while you're at it, save us, that'd be great. Mocks him, right? The other criminal goes, what are you talking about? I'm paraphrasing. What are you talking about, all right? I am on this cross dying, breathing my last because I was found guilty of something I actually did. This guy, perfect innocent. He does not deserve this. And he looks at Jesus and goes, well, you remember me like when you come to paradise. And Jesus goes, you will be with me. You will join me in paradise. You want to talk about innocence? Like try being guilty of a real crime, being punished for it. And right as you're breathing your last, Jesus goes, we're about to hang forever in perfection. Like if that's not innocence, I don't know what is. Jesus's innocence is immediately transferred onto this man. That's the kind of innocence that's offered to us. Colossians 1.22 says that those of us that are in Jesus, all right, he presents us before the holy God that sometimes we're so scared of, and he presents us two things, holy and blameless. Confession and repentance is where we take care of the things we need to take care of so that we can stand confidently in the presence of God going right here, right now. I am holy and blameless. If I said two words that describe you, what would you say? I bet holy and blameless didn't come to your mind. It is true. It is not hyperbolic. It is not metaphorical. It is yours to claim and to lay hold of. In Jesus, in the presence of a perfect God, you, son or daughter, are holy and blameless. Confession and repentance takes hold of that truth, accepts it. As true as it is that I messed up, I am holy and blameless just the same. Both are true. It's an amazing reality. It some of you have not felt innocent in a long time, and I, I, just, I, I desperately want you to know how innocent you are in Jesus. That is insane. Like, it's so cool. Uh, number two, clear, number two, um, clean conscience. Clean conscience, okay? I think sometimes we underrate how amazing it is to just have a clean conscience. Like, to just go, no, I'm good. I've aired it out. I've said all the things. I don't have this thing in here like, that I'm holding back that no one knows. It's all the movement. I just noticed how much I was wiggling back and forth for some reason. No one else does that apparently, but, but a clean conscience. And I, the image that I had come to my mind was this idea of like ankle weights, which I've never worn, never will, but ankle weights that help you get stronger, I guess. And but I just thought about like, if you wear ankle weights long enough, I bet you get used to having ankle weights and you actually kind of forget their presence on you, right? But the minute you took them off, you'd realize, whoa, I can jump like a quarter of an inch higher, you know, or whatever that, that height would be like, oh, this is what it feels like not to have this weight on me. Or maybe you've worn your backpack all day at school and then you take it off and you're like, oh my goodness. Or on a hike, you're like, oh wow, I forgot. Like this feels a lot better than, not have, than having a backpack on. You know what I mean? Like I think sometimes we underestimate the power of darkness just sitting in our hearts and minds for a long time. It's heavy, y'all. That burden is heavy. We're not meant for it. 
We are meant to be free in the Lord. That is like your, that is what God wants for you. And when we confess and repent, we air it out. Like you ever done something wrong to someone and they don't know it yet? And every time you're around them, they have literally no idea, but you know everything. And you're like, hey, hey, what's up, man? What you been up to? But you're like holding this thing. <laughs> but you're just holding this thing, you know what I mean? But when you air it out, you're like, whoa, that was hard, but I'm not hiding anything. That is good. That is what we are meant for with our Heavenly Father. And that results in number three, genuine joy. Like there is joy that we can tap into when we air this thing out. Like there's a joy he wants to give us. All right, I believe it's available. So number three, he gives us genuine joy when we push past that. I think us understanding that anything worth having oftentimes come with resistance. And that resistance to confess is sometimes preventing us from experiencing genuine joy. Um, I'm gonna move through these. Number four, um, a deeper understanding of God's kindness you will just get to learn more and more just how for you God is and how kind he is. The more you confess and repent and the more you embrace how holy and blameless you are, like you'll be one of those people that talks about how kind God is. Like right now you roll your eyes at him, but you'll become one. You'll be like, whoa, no, he's like legit. He's so amazing. He's sweet. Like I mess up a lot and I experience his grace. So you'll have a deeper understanding of God's kindness. Um, number five, you'll have an expanded radar, all right? When you confess sins, your radar, spiritually speaking, will, will get more broad. So I picture like a submarine in my brain. I know nothing about them, but if I had to guess, their radars detect enemies, all right? They detect incoming missiles. So if a submarine radar could only detect missiles from 10 feet out, that submarine radar is only notifying you that it's over, right? <laughs> like, yep, it's done. Yeah, but yeah, right now, you know, that's all it's doing, right? It's not helping you. But the more elaborate, I would assume, the more elaborate a submarine radar would be, if it can detect from maybe 1,000 miles out, 500, I don't know. I have no idea about the technology. But the more elaborate the radar, the more helpful to protect you. Does that make sense? And so I've just seen that as we confess and repent, a life that has a habit of confession and repentance, you go from confessing sin to confessing like symptoms or signs. Like, like you go to confessing like, I haven't sinned, but I can just tell like something is looming. Like my wife is gone for 17 straight days and you better believe like my radar is ready. I don't know what he's gonna come with, but I know what isolation means. I'm just like, all right, I don't know what it is yet, but you're probably gonna hit me with a false narrative. You're probably gonna lie to me. You're probably gonna lure me into something. You're probably gonna make, turn me into a single guy again. And I know none of it's true. None of it's happened yet. I have been great. I have loved every day so far other than that I've cried because I miss her so much, right? But I've been good. But the Holy Spirit does that. Like as you learn how to confess sin and walk in purity and, and, and like, I'm not trying to like elevate myself. I'm trying to proclaim though. It, it's, it's a powerful thing. Like some of you go, I cannot be by myself. The, that's when it's happening. The enemy, the enemy, the enemy. A life of confession and repentance makes that place, that solitude place, a place of safety. We're like, God, I'm with you. I know you're with me. I'm not hiding something. There's no deep, dark secret I'm scared of in front of you, God. It's like, that's what happens. He expands that radar. Like even, yeah, anyway, uh, does that make sense? Okay, um, all right, um, okay, number six, heightened awareness of the Holy Spirit around us. Um, the Holy Spirit in us and around us and just spiritual warfare in general. Um, I think as you confess, you start to see how the enemy works around you in our culture. The more you confess sin and just become aware of where the enemies that work in you, you'll see it. You'll have evidence of spiritual wars. Like, I, it, this is hard to make tangible, so I won't try right now. But when you look at culture, when you look at people around you, you will see when darkness is setting in you'll see when the enemy is at work. The cool thing is you'll be able to speak into it with love and like, 
encourage people and pray for them, um, but you will begin to notice it. The more we confess and repent, we're just more and more aware of God's heart, and that has its advantages. It's awesome. Okay, last thing. In a culture that says you're okay, you're enough, in the most gentle way I know how to say it, confession and repentance is the best reminder that you are not okay. You're not. Like, you cannot. The story of the gospel is not that you can, but that Jesus did. Like, that's the story. That he is abundantly enough, 10 out of 10 times. You need him, but you have him. It's a cool reality, right? Just one of the realities is kind of sad. Oh, I need him. But to need him and have him, that's powerful. And so the confession of penance reminds us, I'm not enough. It keeps us from pride. Like, you're talking to the people who are falling down and it's such a mess, and you don't get arrogant with them. You're like, I feel you. Let's, let's talk. Like, I know I'm not enough. I know you're not enough. We got Jesus, though. It's just so powerful to know that in a healthy way, right? So I think it's really powerful. Okay, so confession and repentance, I believe it is so important. And you're like, Josh, how do I do that? Come back next week, all right? We're gonna get really practical. We're gonna talk what this looks like. If you've had broken versions of this and you're kind of done, it just is always weird and boring and way too vulnerable. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't do confession and repentance anymore. I really believe in it. I think we can talk about some healthy ways to do it next week. We'll brainstorm together, okay? Um, for now, we're gonna go to communion. And I wanna invite you to practice this by yourself. Uh, so in a minute, I'm gonna pray. You can get up and grab communion. And before you take it, I just wanna invite you to search your heart, to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart, and to confess any sin in your heart. It's okay. The transaction is amazing. You bring sin, he brings mercy, you trade. It's amazing. So at over communion, whatever it is, the thing that you can't say, say it. The thing you can't talk to God about, this is a great time. I, I, I believe this might even be the best time right now. And so, um, yeah, I'm gonna pray for us over communion. We're gonna play music softly for a little bit and just pray to God. If you need to walk around, go outside, whatever it is, do what you need to do, okay? All right, I'm sweaty. I'm gonna pray, and then I'm gonna get communion. All right, God, thank you. We love you. And uh, I know confession is good. I know it's not like a super sexy conversation. Um, yeah, it's not necessarily fun to talk about like our sin and where we're falling short, but God, will you help us to see the other side? Um, the mercy, the grace, the redemption, the freedom, the weightlessness. Thank you, God. This is from you. This is not of our doing. Like, God, this is not of our doing. We don't get to be free and, and, and experience grace and mercy unless you say it so and you've said it. Thank you, God. Thank you for doing something about it in Jesus. Lord, will you help us to be humble and thankful as we embrace the forgiveness you offer us? It is unreal. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.